0: Hi, my name's Dr. Stan Steindl. Welcome to Compassion in a T-shirt in session. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Hayley Quinn, who's a clinical psychologist, supervisor and trainer based at the Compassionate Wellbeing Centre in Brisbane, Australia. She has extensive training in CFT and has presented trainings herself in Australia and overseas. She's a strong believer in supporting practitioners to incorporate compassion into their own lives, as well as their work, to care for both their clients and themselves, and maintain a sustainable practice. She's filled with warmth and loveliness. And so I do hope you enjoy being in session with my friend, Dr. Hayley Quinn. Well, welcome Dr. Haley Quinn uh, to Compassion in a t-shirt in session and uh, actually delighted to have a fellow Brisbaneite um, on the, on, on, in, in session. Um, although actually you were just telling me you're not in Brisbane today, you're actually up the coast. So what, yeah. wh- where are you located right at the moment?
1: So I'm up on the Sunshine Coast, um, which is a beautiful part of Australia, as you know. Yes. Um. Normally based in Brisbane, but also have the privilege of being based here as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So Will, I'm really keen to, to have a bit of a chat because although we've now known each other a, a, a quite a long time, we sort of haven't. Fully got to do that, where we really sit down and, and have a, a longer chat. We've actually presented together a couple of times, and 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 been to conferences, and it, it, there's a lot of really good touch points there along the yeah. way. But um, so so yeah, this will this will be great. And I, I guess yeah, I wondered if we could start, um, just just sort of telling us a, a little bit about yourself. You know, your 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 life maybe, but also. Um, you know, your work and and what's kind of really inspiring you at the moment or
1: or whatever you'd like to to mention there? Lovely. So first of all, thanks for having me on here. Um, This is really cool. So I, as you can probably tell, didn't grow up here. I was born in England and had somewhat of a tricky start, I guess, Hmm. to, to my earlier life. And at 25, decided to come out to Australia. And without sounding too clichéd, really kind of wanting to kind of come out and find myself. Mm. And I came out here and i would kind of always known that I wanted to work in a helping profession, but I had not done well at school. I left school early and didn't get good results. And that had kind of led me to this really quite solid belief that I was quite stupid. So I struggled to know whether I could pursue doing um further studying Mm. so I can remember making a phone call to lifeline and speaking to a man called Andrew and saying to him that I knew that I wanted to be a psychologist but I didn't really know how to do that and what did he recommend and he had recommended that I do the volunteer work at lifeline and also get as much experience as I could and go and do a bachelor degree So I did the volunteer work at Lifeline and I also worked for a national um, children's counselling line as well and then started a bachelor and then found myself managing some illness and stopped doing that and then had a bit more of a windy road and found myself raising my child on my own and decided at that point that... I didn't really just want to get into work that I didn't enjoy because I'd done that for most of my life and I really wanted to go back and give studying another go which was a kind of a big thing because obviously I was a solo parent at the time and I was out here living in Australia without support so I did that I set a special entrance exam at um oh no that was earlier that was for the first time I studied I, I went back and did a special entrance exam which was very daunting actually. Um, this time I applied for the Bachelor of Psychology and ended up doing my Bachelor of Psychology, went on to do honours and then had people saying to me, oh, are you are going to do postgrad? And I was like, what? Me? I was a school dropout. How could I do that? Um, and ended up doing a clinical PhD, which uh, I think I was perhaps surprised about more than anybody. <laughs> so... Whilst I was at uni, I think it it was in about 2008, I came across Christopher Germer's the mindful path to self-compassion book and read that. And it just really resonated with me that maybe there was something that I'd been missing in how I was treating myself. I had grown up with an extremely harsh self-critic. I was very self-doubting. and then in 2013, I went to a conference in Sydney and I saw Paul Gilbert and Dennis Tursch presenting on the introduction to compassion focused therapy. And that really resonated with me. And I just really found them to be great presenters and really quite funny and engaging. So I thought, oh yeah, this feels like a nice fit. Um, and that kind of got me involved in, in the compassion side. Now I had been ACT trained prior to that. And I'd done a lot of different workshops with people, including Kelly Wilson. And listening to Kelly present and watching Kelly as a human being, and I think anybody that's been to a Kelly Wilson workshop knows take your tissues and you're you you know you're probably gonna go to deep places. And that's really what happened for me. And I think there was a big part of him inspiring me to actually be okay with who I am and what I've been through and and where I've come from and the, the struggles and challenges I've had as a human being. And then adding compassion to that was kind of like the icing on the cake. It's like, okay, this is how I can really kind of bring these practices into my life and be able to do that. So that led to me having opportunities to present, with yourself, we did that presentation at Griffith, which was my uni, Which so that was really lovely. Um, And then I went to the the, um, Compassionate Minds Summit and retreat in New York, the first year it was on. And then I went back the second year and actually was a presenter there, which was, again, my younger self was kind of a bit mind blown. Um, And then also had an opportunity to go and present a three-day training over in Singapore. So, I've had some really wonderful opportunities that have come that have been humbling and surprising. Um, So, that's kind of where I got to with my sort of, you know, my my training and my learning, which of course is ongoing. Mm. And I've been working in private practice. a couple of different places. I joined a group practice when I first started out. And then I moved to another place where I was working for myself, but within a group practice. And I got really quite sick and had to leave there and move my practice closer to home. So I ended up setting up on my own up in Brisbane. And just ran a small private practice working a few days a week. Thankfully, my health improved over time and last year, yeah, during COVID opened up the Compassionate Wellbeing Centre so that I could actually have colleagues work with me as well because I realised how isolating it was just being in solo private practice. Mm. Um, But then recently, I actually have closed my books to clients Hmm. which has been quite strange because obviously client work is what I've done the whole time I've been a psychologist and I'm working more and more with other therapists and helping professionals because I've really noticed over the years um, the difficulties with self-care for helping professionals, the narrative that plays out in the professions and yeah, I guess the difficulties that show up. So this has become a real passion area for me. One, because I had to really kind of put that in place for myself with my own health. I think often a lot of the things we end up doing are because of something that's happened for ourselves. Um, but also just the, the things I heard when I was at workshops, talking to other people, um, conversations I had with, with colleagues. So yeah, this, this is kind of my new, my new venture and uh i'm i'm loving
0: it actually wow thank you haley for for um yeah that just very moving kind of summary of of how things have have transpired i i definitely want to tap into all that you're doing and thinking about self care for for clinicians as as well but um yeah in a way a a, a sort of a a journey of of overcoming barriers sort of thing mm. you know especially to begin with just 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 the external barriers you know things that would happen around you or or to you in a sense you know from whether it be sort of you just alluded a little bit to sort of even early in life but but you know as time went on as well these these kind of external barriers but but as paul gilbert sort of talks about it's that thing that we do isn't it where we take the external and we bring it internal mm. and so you know then we have these these other Little kind of thoughts and ideas, and, and sort of the, the, the critical self talk and so on that just persists, sort of thing, mm. you know, often despite the external changing. Uh, and yet, there it is, just niggling away the, the way that our thoughts go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I had certainly uh, had a very harsh self critic mm. growing up um, and a lot in my adult life as well. Mm. Until I started making changes around that and understanding and and certainly compassion focused therapy and my my learning and subsequent teaching to others of that has really helped me with that. It's not to say I don't have any self criticism, but it's oh like so vastly different for me. Um, it's absolutely not a default anymore in fact, I would say it's more my hand on heart how are you going, darling? that's my My default now Um, so that that had been well literally life changing you know I I don't say that lightly literally life changing because it has allowed me to what I like to think of as step out of the shadows Mm. Um, I think the when your self criticism is so harsh it can be a very very dark place and self compassion and all the flows of compassion for me have really helped me step out of that darkness. I think. Yes. I remember um, saying to myself quite a long time ago that if I could give myself a gift, it would be to see myself through the eyes of somebody who truly cared for me. Mm. Um, mm. And I and I try and remember that and bring that to my life. Mm. And you know, with my client, with my work with clients, and with supervisees as well. Mm. that's a gift i like to give to them so that they could see themselves through the eyes of somebody that truly cares for them
0: there's really been seismic shift for you hasn't there with that mm. it's <laughs> so impressive to hear about that because we all really do you know in one way shape or form struggle with with that sort of stuff and and i i you know there's this little thing that that you know even now when you have a success like there you are presenting at the compassion summit it you, it sort of surprises you still. You know, yeah. there's a little, very humbling feeling that you're kind of like, oh my goodness, I I, yeah. I almost can't believe it. And but but the harshness, the attack, wow. you know, that bit of it has has absolutely softened. And, and yeah. know, it's such a, like you say, a, a kind of gift. And uh, yeah, stepping, was it stepping out of the darkness or yeah,
1: or stepping out of the shadow, stepping out stepping of the darkness, stepping out
0: of the yeah. shadows, and. And, of course, yeah, that really harsh uh, self-attacking, self-hating, self-criticism is is really related to shame too, isn't it? Mm. Which is a lot about hiding in the shadows. Yeah. Um, But it's funny because when I think about it, there was also something in you even, you know, as, as a young person that, I don't know, believed in yourself or knew what was really helpful for you or was willing to take certain steps i mean even just your move here but but even some of those early decisions to 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 do some study and so on i mean what what are your thoughts there that what what was there was something already there i think maybe
1: yeah i think um I think a couple of things come up, actually. I'm having a bit of a giggle to myself. A couple yeah. of things was, I don't, I don't know if there's any wisdom. I think I was just bouncing around and kind of <laughs> checking out what happened. Um, but, I, but I think you're right. I think there was a part of me that had courage. Yes. That propelled me forward. I don't know I was that conscious of it. I don't know that I was that aware of it. Um but, it, but she was there, and the part of me that knew that staying where I was in the life I was living was not right for me, and whilst Australia is not the place I was born, it has always felt like the place I've come home to, which might seem a bit strange, but I really felt like, and maybe that for me was because nobody knew me here, and I could actually be me in the way i wanted to be me rather than trying to be the version of what i thought people needed or wanted me to be um so i feel very fortunate to be living here
0: yes there was there was absolutely embedded in you the the kind of the 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 strength and courage piece but also a kind of a an openness you know a a sort of a willingness almost to to do the bouncing around (laughs) you know because that that takes sort of Something to to just sort of open oneself up to the bounce, and then mm. you know there was there was always this aspiration or or sort of you know I I, I want things to to be better or to be different and and um and so the it, it it it's almost like once you heard from Chris Germer and Paul Gilbert and Dennis Turch and and of course Kelly Wilson um, that that started to bring those elements of yourself into focus more and and gave it a kind of a a, an idea of what is this thing or and and sort of making it conscious and and maybe more intentional maybe or those sorts of things but it's just interesting how those qualities really were there Mm. all the way along
1: yeah and i think the the way that both kelly's work and other people in the act community and um Paul's work and other people in the CFT community. I think the way that that work was presented, the way that the trainings that I was attending um, were run, really created a sense of safeness for me to kind of take a deep dive inside of myself and look at the things that I did and didn't like, um, the qualities that I had, the struggles that I had um so I think that had been really important I I I always sort of wonder had I gone a different path with different training would I have had the depth of change that I have had Mm. in the in the work that I've done I mean who knows we don't know do we you only know the path you took eh?
0: Yes, and I, I get a little bit of a sense that, that you know, just you yourself are, are um, you know, kind of hungry for these, this sort of, of change and this sort of growth. So had you been an accountant or, or a sort of a flight attendant or whatever, you, you might very well have still, you know, oh. kind of achieved this stuff. But actually, yes, that's, that's a, an interesting point that, that sort of earlier on, it was the strength and courage to really work with the external. And then along with some of this later training, it became that sense of safeness to approach the internal. And and so it was sort of maybe a little bit along those lines.
1: Yeah. I think it might seem strange to say it's probably my favourite part of the work because it's not, it's certainly not the easiest part of the work (laughs) Mm. is working with the dark side. Yes, You know, working with our dark side, working with shame, working with self-criticism, that for me has been my favourite part of the work for myself and the favourite part of work with clients because I think that's where we see the most change and the most growth and the most healing. Um, and it allows, when, when we can embrace all of who we are, when we can look at all the... Few yucky, ugly, kind of, uh parts that we perhaps have spent a long, long time pushing aside and not wanting to acknowledge about ourselves. I think when we can embrace all of ourselves as who we are, then we really do get to live the life we want to live. Mm. You know, we don't have to be held back by I'm not deserving of. I, you know, somebody might find out you know, if you really knew who I was, um, I've kind of changed from that sense of, you know, if you really knew who I was, you wouldn't like me to like, if you really get to know me, I'm actually pretty nice. <laughs> Which I never used to be able to say at all. And ah. even just saying it now, I'm kind of like, you're really saying this on, on this thing, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But actually, it, it, there's a little segue there too, because as clinicians... It is such a a, a privilege and, and a powerful kind of process to be able to work with the dark side for for yeah. our for and with our clients and 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 sometimes with ourselves and and, and at the very same time that's what makes it you know a, a challenging
1: yeah.
0: uh, sort of uh, process and and kind of um, part of one's life journey as a as a clinician and so yeah, um, yeah I, I I really get. The, the self-care piece that you, you've started to, yeah. to kind of focus in on there. How, how can you help uh, or work with others, other clinicians, other practitioners who are doing this important and challenging sort of work? So, yeah, t- tell us a bit about that. What, what's, the, what's the new kind of direction there that you're, you're heading off in with self-care for clinicians and practitioners?
1: Well, it it had started. I, I'd had this idea pre-COVID um, of starting a group for helping professionals that could come together. There's some amazing groups on Facebook, and um, that help us navigate Medicare and help us, you know, navigate challenging questions we might have about our clinical work and and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what I felt was lacking was A space where we as helping professionals could actually focus on us Mm. and not be not be worrying about the clients and not be thinking about medicare or the practicalities of running businesses and things like that but actually focusing on us and what it means to be a human in a therapist chair so I'd had this idea of a group and because of some of my kind of not wanting to be kind of out there and visible and, and still some of that stuff around, you know, is that, is this just what I would find interesting or is this something I think other people would find interesting? So still some of that self doubt, I just didn't do anything about it. Mm. Plus I was busy, you know, <laughs> so I didn't get around to it and then COVID hit. And I just thought, do you know what? This is the time to do this. Like, this is absolutely needed because all I kept hearing was, um, you know, out out in community was, are you struggling? Oh, just go and see a psychologist. Just go and see a psychologist. And I kept thinking, hang on a minute. We're psychologists and we're living in a global pandemic and we're finding this really hard and we're scared of getting COVID and we're separated from our families and and all the same things that are happening for clients are happening for us. So I kind of put a bit of a thing out on social media and said, this is what I'm doing. Is anybody interested? And it was just like, voom so many people got in touch I'd love to be a part of this so I started a weekly group and we have a Facebook page and we meet online once a week which used to be just on a Friday morning but I've got people from overseas that have joined as well so now we do a Wednesday evening and then the following week Friday morning and alternate that way and it's It's been more than I could have hoped for actually. It's a really beautiful, compassionate, caring group of people. And we come together and we talk about how we've been going, what are our blocks to self-care, what have been some of the things we've done for self-care because we share those because they could be helpful for other people. Um, We talk about all sorts of things, but in relation to ourselves and the role that we're in and all the things we have to juggle as human beings that choose to be in helping professionals uh, in a helping profession um so it's been really really lovely and then there's a couple of things that I do in the group I do an accountability post on a Monday and if people have got intentions for self-care then they post them in the group and I check in with them at the end of the week to see how they've gone and then we do a meditations with mother nature which is just a post where if people are out and about and they they see something beautiful in a water or in, in the forests or wherever they post the picture in the group so people get an opportunity to just kind of meditate on that for a little bit during their busy day mm. um, so it's been really really fantastic mm. i've also been working on um some resources that i'll be promoting soon and I am also starting a podcast soon, <laughs> which I'm very excited about. Um, as you know, it takes a fair bit to get that up and off the ground. So I'm still in the process of doing that. That will be called Welcome to Self, Caring for the Human in the Therapist Chair. Um, so again, I'll, I will be promoting that soon. And that's aimed at helping professionals, but also just aimed at humans, really. <laughs> Um, And I'm really hoping that that will be somewhere where people can just come and check in and have a bit of soothing and and maybe pick up some tips. And I'll do some interviews with people as well, Um, but also sometimes just me kind of talking and kind of keeping it brief so that it's not adding to the burden of what people have got on during their week. Um, So that's some of the stuff. And yeah, I've got a a head full of ideas. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Oh, Haley, I I, I can't wait. I, I, I think it's so exciting. And I, I'm sort of waiting with bated breath, especially for the podcast and to see, you know, kind of how you go with all that. And also, you know, the resources. I, I love the phrase, welcome to self. I, I know that's yeah. one of the ones that came, it sort of like came to you, I think, didn't it? You know, it was sort of as a uh, early on, actually, this notion yeah. of welcome to self—that that's really—and then you've kind of riffed off that in some ways.
1: Yeah, that was um, that was at a workshop I did with Dennis Tursch in Byron Bay, and yeah, you go to these trainings, and they say, do you want to do a role play or a real play? And I was quite um, at the height of my chronic illness kind of really struggling with that at the time. And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna take that as my example to work on for my personal practice during this workshop. Mm. And Dennis asked if anyone wanted to do a real play and do some chair work, because mm. who doesn't love that? Yeah. You so volunteered. I I volunteered, which had been actually in a lot of the trainings I'd started, even back in uni, I'd started putting my hand up and being brave. It would made me wanna be sick sometimes, but that's okay. Mm. Um because I knew I would get a lot out of it, so mm. I did this, and we were we did chair work with my I think it was with my chronic illness, my critical self, and ultimately my compassionate self. And I had shocked myself about how harsh I was towards myself for having this chronic illness, which of course was not my fault. Um, mm. But the critic just absolutely went to town on me. And then, to cut a long story short, when I was in my compassionate self, I just had this really deep sense of connecting with my true self for the first time in my life. And the words just came out of my mouth and I was just like, oh, welcome to self. And it was, Mm. it gives me a bit goosebumpy actually talking about it. Mm. And when Dennis was, sort of debriefing with everyone after and asking for feedback a woman said to him so dennis um haley used this term welcome to self what what is that what's that concept and dennis just kind of looked at me and i looked at him and he just said to the woman actually that's just haley's so i just explained that of what my experience had been and then yeah i kind of um held on to it and have used it now as as a um, Part of my branding and well, part of the work that I do because it is yeah. so meaningful to me.
0: Oh, and, and such an—I mean, it—it it is the the heart of the reminder that you're you're sort of offering, isn't it? Is we yeah. where especially with clinicians and practitioners, we're all very good at at, at welcome to the other, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and and it's kind of like welcome, welcome to self. Yeah. So one of my curiosities with the work that you might do with, with practitioners and, and the, the, the weekly group and so on, what, are there certain ways that you more specifically bring CFT into that? Are, are there kind of CFT practices or, or, or do you sort of work even with sort of formulating things and so on, or is it more a kind of a, a, a general discussion? Where, where might CFT come into some of that work with self-care?
1: Well, I think um, CFT has become part of me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think I do anything in my life now that's not got compassion focus in it. Um, yes. I think that's the beautiful thing about CFT is it. it um, it's not just something we learn to teach other people mm. or do to other people. It's something we really learn and embody, and it becomes part of the process in all the things that we do, um, or can if you allow it to. So with the group, we we will sort of, as, we, as we're talking, it tends to be general discussion. There's, there's no sort of set agenda at this stage with what we talk about, although there does seem to be a theme. And it's interesting, because even when people come in, um, at different times during the meeting. I always say to them, um, because people will apologise for being late, and I say, well, there is no late in this group. You're either here or you're not here. And if you can come for 10 minutes in the middle, or you can come for five minutes at the beginning, or you can come for 20 minutes at the end, then just turn up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're either here or you're not here. There is no Mm -hmm. late. So if people come in um, at different times in the meeting, even though there's been a theme that seems to have been established, they almost come in and that's what they kind of really want to talk about. It's quite bizarre mm. and really lovely. Mm. Um, so there's no general sort of agenda, but we will talk about um, the three circles. And we talk a lot about threat-based drive because mm. I think as clinicians, we can get very much caught up in threat-based drive, mm. whether that's in session with our clients you know we might get triggered and if we're not aware of what that trigger is we kind of the threat system gets activated and we go into like how can I be a good clinician what can I tell them next what can I you know what can I do or after the session we can get caught in that and again if we're not recognizing that's what's happening we can be kind of you know jumping online buying the next best book and um, booking into trainings or that sort of thing you know if I do enough if I learn enough if I read enough then I can settle down and, and feel better about myself um, so we talk about those um, I also do I've got to mention that I also do a guided meditation at the end of every session mm. and a lot of those will have some connection to compassionate self not not always' they're not always specifically kind of compassionate self um, meditations but the, the compassion theme flows through all of it. I don't, I don't know how in my life I couldn't do that now. Mm. That, that's, that's part of my professional life. It's part of my personal life. It's part of my inner life. Mm. Um, yeah.
0: The, the threat-based drive idea seems really, does seem very important for practitioners. Um, mm-hmm and myself included but lots of people that i've known over the years there's a sort of a i don't know a kind of a a, for me i've always noticed a sort of a a defectiveness you know approval seeking self-sacrificing you know if we're talking in those sort of terms you know there's sort of like a a combination there that that i think probably is this sort of threat-based drive insecure striving thing yeah um, or, or even, even that, that notion of clinician shame. Yeah. Uh, what, what, can you just yeah, talk a bit more about some of those pieces with clinicians and, and how that might kind of work for us?
1: Look, I think that can come from lots of places. I think one of the really important things is understanding our own experiences, mm. understanding our own beliefs And the sort of narrative that we tell ourselves. Mm. Because then when we are dealing with particular client issues or a client responds to us in a certain way, it can trigger us in different ways. One thing a client might say to you might not impact you in a negative way. Whereas Mm. if they said it to me, I might notice that my threat system gets quite activated and vice versa. So I think when we can be aware of our own histories and understanding ourselves as, as humans with tricky minds, as we all are, mm. then we can be more aware of, of that in the moment when it happens. Mm. And I think the importance of that is, and, and you know, I don't get this right every time. I'm not saying that I'm some perfect. You know, hey, I learned CFT and I embodied it, and now I'm perfect. Not at all. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> I have little reminders in my office. Like I have the three circles, a beautiful painting I had done of the three circles. And I have three little hearts in the three circles colors that a friend bought me um, that are my reminders to keep Mm. a check on myself because it's so easy to get triggered. And of course, when we're in our threat system, we don't have a calm, open mind. We have a narrow focus. Mm. Um, But if we can, we can be there for ourselves we can remind ourselves to get more grounded, You know, perhaps activate our soothing rhythm breathing so that we can be more grounded for ourselves, but also more present for our clients. And then the stuff that we're dealing with, we can kind of hold gently to the side and deal with later. Some of the things that can happen though is We can notice it, okay, this is my own stuff. I'll put it to the side and deal with it later. But then when later comes, we just rush around doing the things we need to do, doing GP notes, writing letters, making phone calls, responding to emails. Oh, next client's coming. Quick, get back in the room, sit in the chair. And we forget that there's actually a part of us that is suffering. Hmm. There's a part of us that actually needs compassion and soothing and care Because there can be lots of micro moments like that throughout the day. And if we never tend to that, then there's parts of ourselves that continue to feel neglected. Mm. And depending on your own experience and your own history, that could be reinforcing some really painful stories for you.
0: Yes. I think that's a really, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of ponder that this notion of, neglectful of ourselves almost mm. yes that it, it, it sort of adds up across the day because something might occur or rise up and we just sort of neglect ourselves in that moment and then we charge on and whatever and then another thing happens and we kind of neglect ourselves and 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 all of these little things might be quite unique to us you know But depending as you say on our own historical influences I guess and and being really well aware of of the, the the history and and then noticing of the moments trying to in that moment not neglect ourselves as well
1: yeah yeah and i think um some of the other stuff as well i've just i heard my pang on my mail and it's taken my mind away see this is what the tricky mind does isn't it
0: that's an example
1: this is exactly what the tricky mind does it's like I closed all my notifications so it wouldn't ping. And now I'm having this little bit of a response of like, oh no, it pinged. It, <laughs> Somehow there's a little part of me that feels bad about that. Oh. And I could and I could spin into this spiral of like, oh no, Stan's gonna say you didn't turn up your thing and this is terrible and it's ruined the podcast. And or I can just be like, bloody technology, hey. Eh? Um, yeah. <laughs> This stuff happens, and it and takes your train. Stand is train much nicer than that, actually, too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that wasn't a reflection on how you would you would be. <laughs> but no, I'd had, had this thought as well. Mm. I'd had this thought about, oh, a therapist Shane. I think um, mm. one of the things that comes across a lot as well is I, I talk to numerous people who are thoughtful and considered clinicians they they seek supervision they do training they work hard at their profession and we have this professional body and I think there can be this underlying sense of you can get in trouble Mm. and it does seem to have this kind of um, underlying current through the profession Mm. that somehow we have to be perfect or we could get in trouble with our And I think it's really quite sad because I think it brings up some blocks to people um, speaking out when they're struggling. Mm. I think there's a huge stigma for helping professionals, not just psychologists, but all helping professionals if they're dealing with mental health issues. And let's face it, mental health does not discriminate based on job description. Um, If they're struggling with, you know, Life tragedies or struggles, which again, let's face it, we all have, we're all human. Um, so, I think it can put up some barriers within the profession and other helping professions that we don't feel like we can seek support, um, that we should know how to do all the things because we've got skills. I've recently just started um, a series on social media uh, called Shift the Narrative that kind of talks to some of this stuff, because I think it's really important that we acknowledge that we are human first. Mm. We chose, that. You- and that was Siri. You see, even Siri's tuning into this, this podcast. Really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> We're just having like a big technology thing going on. Um.
0: <laughs> but, but you're saying really important stuff. So, so yes, keep, keep going.
1: Yeah. Mm. So I think, you know, we, we absolutely have to acknowledge that we're human beings. Mm. We are not psychologists. We are not helping professionals. We are human beings who choose a work role that happens to be in a helping profession. Mm. Mm. And we have lives that are far more complex than the job that we do. Mm. And we also have to acknowledge that we actually do a job, a job that is at times very challenging and demanding, particularly at the moment Mm. when demand is high. Um, You know, this this pandemic has really highlighted that we need broader services. We can't just rely on private practitioners to be meeting all the needs in the community. Um, And I think a lot of practitioners get quite caught up in but I have to see people because there's no one else, mm. and it can't be our responsibility to solve a problem that needs to be addressed by the government.
0: It, it's it's sort of well, it's kind of in a way sad to think, but in, you know, therapists and other health practitioners, there's a, a sort of a constant subtle threat in a way uh, in the system, and. Yeah. You, you, we, we, in some ways, we, we understand it. We, we know that we have to be, you know, sort of uh, professional and ethical and, mm. and whatever. But yes, there is this sort of constant threat and, and this sense of, um, you know, will I get in trouble? or And, yeah. and then we, we find it hard to speak about struggles that we have because then it's the next thing like, I'll I'll be seen as an impaired practitioner then, you know, and and so then that's getting in in more trouble. And, and, and it's interesting, you know, because I, I sometimes notice even on some of the Facebook groups where people are talking about Medicare or, you know, things like that, that, that even there, it can feel feisty. You know, you, you can sometimes feel like, uh, I'm not sure I should say that because someone might, you know, catch me in, in, in it being wrong or, or something yeah. like that. And I, I, it, it suddenly makes me sort of realise that we, we're often, therefore, in a kind of a safety mode rather yeah. than in a safeness kind of mode. We're, we're in yeah. this sense of just trying to sort of seek safety in amongst these various... Subtle and sometimes not so subtle yeah. threats, and so what do we do in safety mode? Well, we defend and we hide away a bit, or you know that mm. sort of thing. And and you mentioned right at the start that for you with Kelly Wilson and so on, that was almost the key, wasn't it? Was was mm. a sense of safeness, yeah. Uh, and that's what you're trying to create now as well with your yeah. with your weekly groups and and with the even with the podcast. It's it's all woven with creating safeness for practitioners and therapists and so on to be able to kind of touch on and explore all of this stuff
1: yeah it's tricky it's tricky (laughs) one of the
0: things that I've absolutely embodied with CFT is we have tricky brains I can't tell you how often I say that (laughs) yeah but it's true isn't it I mean it's it's so true.
1: true it can grab us and whip us away so very quickly and I think the more we can get practiced in the things that are helpful in grounding us and being compassionate towards ourselves, the more we can kind of hold ourselves whilst we're, you know, whilst our tricky minds trying to whip us away.
0: Cause you did mention as well the the, the notion of, of blocks you know, to self-care mm. and 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 no doubt. Yes, there are the, those are the, those are part of it too. The the fears, blocks, and resistances. Yeah. to I guess self compassion or or receiving compassion from others. Both all of that, yeah. I guess, comes into it. And you, you you sort of discuss that, I guess, in 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 the group.
1: Too. Definitely, the the narratives that we hold around whether we should take time for ourselves or, you know, say to somebody, what would it be like to prioritize yourself. Hmm. And sometimes the response, it's even like, yeah, (laughs) because this is not necessarily how we're taught. And not to say men don't experience this, but particularly for women, the thought of putting yourself first and not thinking about taking care of everybody else first is quite alien. So trying to shift that and and Mm -hmm. open up some gentle questions and prompts and some of the meditations I do is a, a will raise some of those questions and do some imagining around those sort of things and then sitting with the feelings that show up mm. um, and then perhaps bringing compassion to that part of ourselves that may be showing up in that moment mm. I mean even as I'm talking to you about it, I just love this work I just love yeah. it yeah it's, it's um and amazing I think stuff. whilst I don't promote self-care for human beings as a way of you know, then you can be a better clinician. That's not my my main priority of the focus. But I do believe that if you can bring compassion into your life and into your practices, then it can make you or it can help you become more present in your role as a clinician. I think it can enhance your work as a clinician. Mm. Um, and it can enhance the life that you're living because you get to make choices from a different place. You're not making choices from threat.
0: Which actually I, I'm guessing sort of probably applies to the ac- accountant or flight attendant that I mentioned. Absolutely. Well. It, it, it's, it's the humanness that, that really you're tapping yeah. into there. And, and I think sometimes the practitioners just forget that bit and, and feel this this weight of responsibility and, and obligation to others. Yeah. Mm.
1: absolutely
0: and and it's 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 sort of i I, you know that you mentioned that that we each have our own histories and and so we each have our own kind of triggers or or you know that sort of thing and i suppose we each have our own self-care sort of committed actions as well that that, that different things would be you know sort of more or less kind of resonant to different people
1: Definitely. I I don't think you can do a prescription for self-care. I I can't say, okay, this is the self-care model that is going to work for human beings. Um, It's not prescriptive like that. It is unique. We are, whilst we are very, very similar, we are also very different. And what works for somebody isn't going to work for somebody else. And I think it really is, I guess, my aim is to open up the thinking and the opportunities to reflect on what would your self care look like, and some of that will be external resources, and some of that is you know bubble baths and whatever you like to do. I don't know if you like bubble baths, but I do. Um, you know, some of it might be going for a massage or or exercising. It could be that external things, and some of it's the internal resources that we draw upon, and it's the time of stillness and. I think a really big one certainly for me is changing the relationship that we have with ourselves. Mm. So I think it's about finding what works for you. But to do that you have to give yourself time and space mm. to reflect.
0: <laughs> she says with a smile knowing that in some ways that's the the the, the first little challenging bit isn't it
1: yeah it can Doing be
0: time and space yeah. and, uh,
1: but that time Stan could be one minute in your day absolutely. that time could be as my client leaves today I'm just going to sit and take three breaths and then I'm going to notice how that feels compared to when the last client left and I just race straight to my computer to do notes hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be, okay, I need to take a week off and think about how I'm going to plan my self-care. It can be tiny little micro moments through the day, um, which might then lead to, you know what, actually I like reflecting on that. That was quite helpful. Maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i going to take half an hour. Maybe I'm going to take a half a day next week. Maybe I'm actually going to take some time off.
0: Yeah, starting small yeah. Is, is a nice way in because it often does Kind of leave you wanting more, almost, or or something yeah. like that, or feeling like more would be would be good. Well, well, you you've had a, a, an incredible and rather inspiring journey. You know, there, there's a there's a kind of a story arc there that's really uh, been been quite quite amazing, and and both uh, you know drawing from others and, and the inspiration of others, but really working some of this stuff out yourself, not perfect, of course, and, and that, all of that sort of thing. But, um, but really now starting to, you know, kind of even just kind of offer things to others, or, you know, I, I would like to say kind of inspire others. Uh, you, you might, not, I'm not sure, but you know, that, that, that really feels like what it is to me, that it's a chance now to, to sort of, you know, pass this on and, and spread the word. One of the things that I, I was going to ask you and ask everybody is is for three tips, you know whether you are able to, you know in amongst all of the the stuff that we've been talking about, what what might be three tips? maybe for practitioners and therapists, but but three tips for people who are making their own way on on their compassionate journey.
1: so so what I always say to clients, uh, supervisees, people that I talk to, Here are my three tips practice, practice, practice. (laughs) (laughs) And then, joking aside, joking aside, but actually, I'm not joking. You do need to practice, practice, practice. And then, when you've practiced, remember to practice some more. Um, But I think starting small is really important. I think going gently with ourselves and remembering that we are humans with tricky brains and change is hard, change is hard for everybody because if it wasn't, we would all be living our ideal lives. Um, And the other one from a really practical point of view like most of us have smartphones and I would say, pop some reminders in your phone have a little alarm that's labeled that reminds you to take some breaths or to reflect on something or stick posty notes around your house I did that when I was studying I had a thing by my kettle which said um keep going studying is fun you will succeed <laughs> Or oh, keep smiling keep smiling studying is fun you will succeed the studying is fun bit was just to trick my mind that was studying was really fun <laughs> also I do have a resource coming out soon which hopefully will help people as well so once that's available, um, I'm in the process of having a new website done, which I'm really excited about. So um, that will make things easier to um, disseminate resources and the such like.
0: I'll definitely put um, links to uh, sort of your website when it, when it arrives. Um, and I think uh, people will be very keen to, to see what you've got to offer there. If people are wanting to sort of engage with you or your work or what would be the best way to to get in touch with you?
1: So you can email me at Haley H A Y L E Y at Dr dot com. Or I'm on Instagram under Dr Haley D. Quinn and I'm on Facebook under Dr Haley D. Quinn and I've got a landing page for my website now, but not the full website, and that's www.drhayleydequin.com.
0: Okay. Well, Hayley, uh, I've really appreciated that. I I appreciate your sort of warmth and loveliness, but also uh, just your your willingness to be so open and honest about, you know, your own journey and and really the, the, the triumphs there. So, yes, thank you very much for being on Compassion
1: in a T-shirt in session. Thank you so much for having me. Great.